0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Love Talk Radio. Good evening.
1: And blessings. And welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom Estate. This show is produced by a plain historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist Good evening, everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I'm your host tonight, here for the Guest of Freedom, coming to you via the web at www.blogtalkradio.com, black, backslash Black History. Our guest tonight is Stephanie Gilbert. She's here to talk to us about her ancestor, who escaped bondage via the Underground Railroad, and with the help of Thaddeus Stevens, who is featured in Spielberg's new movie, Lincoln. Are you there, Stephanie?
0: I am here, Preston.
1: How are you tonight?
0: I'm very well. Thank you. How are you?
1: I'm great. Uh, Why don't you start off uh, telling us a little bit about... uh, your ancestor, Oliver Cromwell, do I have that right?
0: Well, his his middle name is Cromwell. He was born into slavery as Oliver Cromwell Kelly. Kelly was the last name. And he was enslaved in Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C., sort of halfway between D.C. and Baltimore, on a plantation, a small plantation, where my family was enslaved for at least five generations. So he was on the tail end of that. He was born in 1832, one of, I believe, nine nine or ten, no, I'm sorry, 11 children, uh, to Cynthia Kelly, who was also a slave. Oliver was a waiter, so he worked in the house, in and around the house, mm-hmm. as was his mother and her mother and her mother's mother. And uh, in 1848 he escaped at the age of 16 um, with the help of a Mr. Fisher, who was an abolitionist who was working in the area under the guise of a miller. So he was operating a business in the area, but of course was assisting in fugitive slave efforts. And um, we, we know a lot of information about, Oliver, and the family, and how he escaped, and his life on the plantation, and what happened after his escape, because he left a 52-page, handwritten, legal-sized memoir of his life that um, made made its way through our family, fell out of the family, and was rescued about two years ago.
1: How did you retrieve that? How did it get lost, and how did you retrieve it?
0: Interestingly enough, um, family members, older family members of mine, had always spoken of it. They had seen it. It was part of a large binder of papers, including letters from Garrison, William Lloyd Garrison, and other abolitionists, including photographs, and we couldn't find it. And I began to research family history, and got to the point where I was at slavery, and I was ready to give up, right? How do you research your history when you when you get to the point of slavery? And I was having dinner with a relative who said, you know, let's just, we know the name, let's just poke around on the Internet. And he did. He found an article that was recently written by someone in New Hampshire, um, a librarian at the University of New Hampshire, who had been researching Oliver for 10 years. And I I called her, and I said, I think this is my great-great-grandfather. And after speaking, we agreed that, indeed, it was the same person. And she told me of an antiques dealer in Philadelphia who had also contacted her and said that she had his life story, as well as a number of other documents on him. So she connected the two of us, and it took some time, took about a year of discussions and negotiations and a lot of tears on my part, but eventually she sent me the memoir.
1: Oh, good for and you.
0: that's what I have today, yes.
1: What was the connection between uh, Cromwell and Thaddeus?
0: When Oliver escaped, the night that he escaped, he escaped with a band of other um, former slaves. I believe there were about 15 of them. He was the youngest, and they eventually made their way, under the directions of Mr. Fisher, they made their way to Lancaster. And he describes in detail about his arrival in Lancaster. As a matter of fact, when they crossed the bridge at Susquehanna, they thought they were in Canada, and they fell asleep on the beach. Um, so apparently there was a beach there. And they were uh, awakened by someone who directed them to through uh, to Lancaster, And so he says that we were directed to, um, let's see, what's the address, 45 South Queen Street. And so he writes this in his memoir, and he says there was a lawyer who was a friend to the slaves, and we were directed to go there, and when we got there, they were interviewed. And he describes the interview, you know, where have you come from, have you come a long way. Um, You know, after several, uh, I guess, moments of discussion, They were given letters and instructions of where to go next, and they went to Daniel Gibbons, who was an abolitionist. They stayed overnight with Daniel Gibbons, but sometime in the middle of the night um, there was some sort of ruckus. There was a loud knock on the door. He describes everyone was upset. They were rushed outside. They had to hide in the lime kiln. And Daniel Gibbons whisked them away, and when they were in the wagon, they pulled out the letter and gave it to him, and he said, boys, why didn't you give this to me earlier? This is from Thaddeus Stevens, the best friend to the slaves you'll ever meet. So that's what, what he describes in the memoir. What <clears throat>
1: mm-hmm. What is it about your upbringing that uh, led you to be the family genealogist? Um,
0: well, were you the was, kid that always sat around it... the elders? I, I inherited this. Um, my family has they've been safe keepers of documents and information and history long before me. So it's in the family we've got boxes and boxes and boxes of letters, invitations, photographs. Um, I've got invitations to parties in the eighteen hundreds. Um, so mm. just we're just keepers of things. Mm. We try to keep that under control, but every once in in a a while we come across a gem. I'm sorry, is there a book in the...
1: Yeah, is there a book in the author? I
0: I don't know necessarily that that I'm an author, but I would be interested in seeing this published because it was written to be published. The memoir has word counts at the bottom. Um, Oliver speaks to the reader in the memoir. So there are points when he says, Now my dear reader, you might be wondering why and then he's so I can tell that he was writing this for the purpose of publication.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. But
0: it's it's fascinating. It's fascinating to learn about um, you know, his life in slavery as well as um during his escape. And the Underground Railroad, because he escaped in eighteen forty eight he was essentially in the Underground Railroad Network until the Civil War. And so, you know, he writes about all of the abolitionists that he had to pass through in, in order to receive help. When there was uprising and the you know, the Anthony Burns trial in Boston, he had to, he saw he saw shadrach you know, arrested. Yeah. And he fled to New Hampshire. He came back and... And uh, Burns trial was taking place, so he witnessed who was Ant- all
1: of who, who was Anthony Burns? Tell us about Mr. Burns.
0: Anthony Burns was a, I believe, a fugitive slave. That was, if my memory serves me correctly, um, Anthony Burns was arrested as part of the the new fugitive slave law or the resurgence of the fugitive slave law. Mm-hmm. So. You know, essentially the law that said if you harbor or assist fugitive slaves, your punishment would be very, very severe. So, um, you know, that obviously had some repercussions, a lot of repercussions to abolitionism as well as the fugitives who had to go deeper into hiding at that point. They couldn't just walk the streets.
1: Could you tell us a little bit more about the area in which uh Oliver was held and bondage and lived and and what are those uh, demographics today
0: Um Oliver was enslaved in um Clarksville, Maryland which I believe today most people will know that as Columbia just outside of, of DC um, he uh those who know the area may know Shepherd Lane and there are two historically preserved plantation homes on shepherd lane today and oliver's family was my family was enslaved in both of those homes Um, one is not occupied today it is simply historically preserved and the other is uh occupied but is under historic preservation as well
1: i see and what about the area that he go ahead i'm sorry
0: Oh, okay. That area, um, is that what you were going to ask about? Just the well, I was going to ask about area the, area the, that,
1: the area that he found refuge in, and what were the demographics there today?
0: That he found refuge in as a fugitive slave? Yes. Um, well, he found refuge as uh, in Philadelphia, Boston, Cape May, New York, New Hampshire. He went as far as Halifax, came back to Boston. So he he found refuge in large cities. Um, mm-hmm. He worked at, you know, the office of, um, he worked at 21 Cornhill in Boston, which was William Lloyd Garrison's office where he published The Liberator. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see, just looking at my notes, there was another office where he worked as well but essentially large large cities.
1: Okay, Yeah, and you did mention he was in the Underground Railroad for a number of years. And uh, you also yeah. mentioned you had photos of his slave quarters.
0: I do not have photos of it. I have photos of essentially the home, right? Oliver describes that the male slaves slept in the barn, the, the hayloft in the barn, and the female mm-hmm. slaves Slept in the slave quarter. I've never seen the slave quarter. It doesn't exist anymore at the location. There is a barn there, um, a very large barn. I don't know that that's the same barn. I will say that my family has reunited with the slaveholders' family. We um, completed that last spring. Uh, We Mm -hmm. reconnected with them. They still own the property, and they invited us down. And Uh, um, showed
1: us, go ahead. Go ahead. They showed you uh, the area in which he was held in bondage?
0: Showed us us the home, showed us, um, took us through. You know, we discussed family matters. Uh, We stay in touch with them. They share any documents that they find, photos. They conduct research for us because we're in Philadelphia and they're in Maryland, so they're a lot closer, but they're very Mm -hmm. interested. Often the the contact is proactive on their part.
1: Wow. Really a very uh, fortunate uh, coming together for you. Um, You mentioned uh, William Lloyd Garrison. Um, Explain who that is for some of our listeners who may not know. William
0: Lloyd Garrison was um, one of the most notable abolitionists of the time. He was also the publisher of a newspaper, a very famous abolitionist newspaper called The Liberator. And he was very instrumental in assisting Oliver throughout all of the years that he was in the Underground Railroad Network. And when people think of the Underground Railroad, um, one of the things that I've learned from visiting multiple locations where Oliver was kept or hidden, I've learned that the Underground Railroad is not necessarily basements and secret passages and, you know, hidden tunnels. Often the Underground Railroad is simply a network of supporters who Hmm. refer through letters of introduction slaves, fugitive slaves, from location to location. So it's a handshake. I know this person. I'd like for you to help him. And Oliver, when he was in the Underground Railroad Network in Lee, New Hampshire, went to school. He walked the streets. There were newspaper articles published about him. And the students at the school that he attended, they said he he writes that the first day he walks into the school, they cheered and said the slave catchers will never get you here. So it wasn't necessarily a secretive middle of the night night darkness that you always see.
1: Mm-hmm. What other notable abolitionist uh helped him along the way besides Thaddeus um uh, Thaddeus Stevens and uh Mr. Garrison, William Lloyd. Oh many any other notable
0: many. Um William Nell. William Nell and Oliver uh slept together in the same bedroom at the home of Wendell Phillips in Boston. So many of these were in Boston. Um, John Needles. Okay, Uh, you said,
1: what was Mr. Nell's name, his first name?
0: William Nell. William
1: Nell. Yes. And uh, what's notable about Mr. Nell?
0: Um, You know, I can't say specifically. I know that he was just a very active Abolitionist of the time. Okay. I, I I don't claim to be an expert in all things related to the Underground world where, You know, keep in mind I'm just a normal person who came across my great great grandfather's narrative a couple of years ago, and I'm trying to catch up very quickly on all of this. And I've had a lot of help. But um, William Nell, Frederick Douglass was somewhat involved with Oliver in later years. As a matter of fact I've got um I very recently in the last couple of months found newspaper articles from Saratoga Springs, New York, where Oliver finally settled after the Civil War and Frederick Douglass stayed in his home on several occasions. Mm-hmm. So they had some connection. What that was I, I'm not sure.
1: Okay, and you um, mentioned Wendell Wendell Phillips. Uh tell some of our tell our audience and particularly some of the young people who may not know who wendell phillips was
0: he he was another uh... abolitionist in the boston area and boston was really the hotbed of abolition between boston and philadelphia that was where it was happening a lot of very aggressive abolitionist work both with black and white abolitionists i think uh... The black, the free, or and fugitive black community in Boston banded together in such a way that there was a lot of power in the area at the time, and so the fugitive slaves had a great sense of comfort by being there because it was so full and rich with abolitionism, with a, a very progressive free black community that had resources. Um, so I'll. Re- Stay there most of his time during the Underground Railroad years.
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. How did the White family find you? And you might have mentioned um, that earlier. That you.
0: The, how did you the guys slaveholders' at, family.
1: Yeah, the slaveholders' family.
0: I, I called them. I just picked up the phone and called them. I found out who owned the home and.
1: And you found them through the your through your uh, Mister Cromwell's writings.
0: the plantation, and the plantation is still called that today. Oh, boy. And so I took a trip down there and pretty much drove right up onto the grounds, not realizing that it was an occupied home. I don't think they were there um, the first time I, I visited. I walked the grounds and you know with my daughter and um, came home, and it was about probably a year later that I decided to reach out to them. Wow. And was well received,
1: okay did um Oliver come across did he write about any close calls he might have had um,
0: well, certainly, on the night of his escape um as a matter of fact, the days of his initial escape, there were many um He even attempted previously and had a failed escape attempt um also, he writes about the fact that, uh, you know, many of his his brothers, all but one brother, had, had already escaped before him. And with each escape, um, everyone got away. They made their way to freedom. We, he knew that later on. But the slaveholders would tell all of the slaves, we've caught him, and he's been sold to Georgia. And that's the term he used for essentially being sold south. That he said, sold to Georgia. And being sold to Georgia was obviously the worst thing that they could possibly imagine. I get that repeatedly from reading his memoir. So imagine, you know, that you're the mother of these children, teenagers, and they're run away, and slave master comes back and says, we caught him, and you'll never see him again. He's gone. Never. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that was a constant threat back in the day that you would be sold further south in the deep south where slavery was really slavery. Um, yes. So, yeah, but he
0: did, you know, to your question, he had many, many close calls. He was working early in his escape um, days. After he reached Philadelphia, he checked in at the office of William Still, and then he went on to. Um, Cape May, and he was waiting at a hotel in Cape May, and he always got waiter jobs, right, because that's what he did in slavery, so he was good at that. He came across as fairly educated. Um, I've read that in some of Garrison's letters about him. Garrison said he's you know, highly intelligent, um, but he was waiting, bringing a breakfast tray upstairs to a guest, and as he was going up, his slave master's brother, was coming down, so he didn't lose his head. he just he walked up and he said he you know the man went by him and gave him a funny look and then Oliver bent over the railing to look, and the man was looking up at him and Oliver put the tray down and went down the back stairs and that was the last he ever saw of Kate May.
1: Tell us about William Still, you mentioned William still tell us about him.
0: William Still was uh, one of the most notable abolitionists in the Philadelphia area. And so he ran the uh the uh, abolitionist society here. Um Philadelphia was often one of the entry points to freedom for slaves who were under escape. So it was it was the point of entry where when slaves would get to Philadelphia, they were often in very poor condition because they had been traveling. They were hungry, dehydrated, cold, you know, no shoes, just in the worst of shape. So often, um, the Philadelphia Abolition Office, led by William Still, had to give the most robust support. Um, Slaves would often have to stay here for some time to recover from their escape. And Mm -hmm. people might think, this is also interesting to note, people may think that slaves would escape during spring when the weather is nice, and they could spend a lot of time outside, but that wasn't the case. Slaves were most likely to escape at Christmas because their masters were distracted, there was a lot of drinking, there was a lot of partying, and that was the most um, frequent frequented most time opportune. of escape.
1: Yeah, the most yeah. opportune time. Now, uh, William Still, he was a black abolitionist, was he?
0: Yes. He was. He was a black abolitionist. Thank you for noting that.
1: Okay. Have you seen the movie Lincoln? I have. What were your thoughts on it? What is? What's your uh, perspective about that? Well, first of that?
0: all, I love the movie. Uh, I saw it last Friday. I loved it. I loved, especially, um, Stevens' character, because he was just full of <clears throat> energy, That's Thaddeus Stevens, right? Thaddeus Stevens.
1: Okay.
0: Tommy Lee Jones playing Thaddeus Stevens Very energetic, very feisty Um, You know, he's the guy That you just want to cheer for You know, under your breath You're just like, yes As you're watching the movie And you see this character And it's what I'd always heard About Thaddeus Stevens That he was a rebel You never knew What you were going to get with him But he was, as Oliver said the best friend to the slave, not just a friend to the slave, which was the t- common term for the abolitionists, especially Quaker abolitionists, but that is being the best
1: friend to the slave. Well, we were talking about William still earlier. Uh, he had a brother by the name of James, who was a doctor. Um,
0: I'm not familiar with that.
1: you're not familiar with that, okay, no. I think his brother James, you mentioned uh triggered my memory when you mentioned that uh, Slaves got there in very adverse conditions and not in the best of health, and um, his brother James probably helped, uh, uh, assisted in healing some of their wounds. Um, what did you think of the um, Thaddeus and his uh, relationship, alleged relationship, with uh, his housekeeper?
0: Yeah, I saw that in the movie. I I had not heard that, wasn't familiar with that, but... Didn't surprise me. Um, I, was, I was glad to see that. I thought it was a very you know sweet ending. Um, but I I hadn't heard anything about that previously.
1: Okay. Were you surprised at uh, at the end of the movie when they were in bed together? I,
0: I was surprised at first, but not. You know, I was I was surprised because I thought she was the housekeeper. Just the way he it was portrayed when he came in and he handed her his coat and hat as you know, you would expect with a housekeeper, and then to see them in bed. And I, you know, brought tears to my eyes that she was then reading the amendment to him in bed, of course, ending with the kiss. So that was, you know, that was perfect.
1: Mm-hmm. If you'd have been the assistant director, what would you have added to the movie?
0: Um, I can't say that I would have done anything differently the movie i've heard i'll tell you i've I've heard chatter i've heard people say why didn't we see more about the slaves the movie wasn't necessarily about the slaves it was about lincoln and although we like to tie lincoln to slavery and make him the great savior and there's debate on both sides as to whether he was or whether he wasn't Mm -hmm. i don't know I'm not a a student of Lincoln, so I can't say. But I appreciated the movie for what it was. I appreciated understanding some of the history and background behind the amendment. Um, Learning a little bit more about the Civil War. There's always more to learn about the Civil War. I don't necessarily think we should have seen more about the slaves. Uh, I think if we want to see more about the slaves, there should be a movie about the slaves. That movie about, about Lincoln
1: that shows the slaves. What about uh, the relationship between Oliver and Thaddeus? Do you think that would you have added that? I mean, to give some background on why Thaddeus, I mean, was so involved in the movement and abolitionism.
0: Um, I, you know, I, I have a feeling that that Thaddeus came across many Oliver's. I don't necessarily think Oliver's relationship with Thaddeus was in any way unusual or worthy of special notoriety in the film. I think at that point, Oliver was one of who knows how many slaves came to Queen Street. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure there were a lot. That being the entry point of the Underground Railroad in... uh, that part
1: of Pennsylvania, I can't imagine, countless numbers. No, but so how, many a, how many would have left a 52-page account of well, their, <laughs> their trials and tribulations? True. I think that's quite significant, actually. That's true. You know, the movie was um, simply about Lincoln's efforts to convince the Democrats to vote for the 13th Amendment, um, from what I've gathered. Let me ask um now Oliver uh later on in his life did he become an abolitionist did he um help people well, along
0: Yeah I'm the reluctant to call world? him I'm reluctant to call him an abolitionist because I don't know that he necessarily did the physical helping or you know the the um physical aid for people what he did do is become very active in the movement he became a lecturer and public speaker and actually and that's how he morphed his life into that of a um traveling musician and lecturer the gilbert family jubilee singers came to be and traveled the east coast because oliver began lecturing which turned into lecturing and singing which eventually turned into him marrying his wife and getting his kids into the into the act, um, Oliver also became the temporary chairman and eventual secretary of the colored Republicans of the state of New York. So he became very active in progressing his race, as he puts it. So with lecturing, with working at the abolitionist office, he was very involved, but I would be reluctant to say he, in fact, was an abolitionist because I think that's a I'm not sure what qualified someone for that title, but I wouldn't necessarily give that to him.
1: Well, he was certainly involved in the movement, um uh, quite a very career much so. there. Um Very much so. Yeah, into New York City and uh...
0: He had a very interesting closing to his life as well. He um in eighteen eighty four, Oliver had been very you know, reached a level of success that he wanted to share. With his slaveholder And so he just He opens his memoir With a shopping trip And he's shopping in New York And he's shopping in Philadelphia Because he's got to have the perfect outfit Because he's going to return To the plantation And they don't know he's coming mm. And he boards the train And he goes to Maryland and gets off of Baltimore He um, I think he took another train over to uh, somewhere close to the plantation and hires a coach a team of horses and he specifically says he wanted a white coachman so he hires a german with a, a fine team and they take him out to the plantation and he says people stopped on the street that you know this team of horses with this black man who's dressed in the finest clothes and he knocks on the door of The slave slave master's home, and um, the door opens, and I think the slave master was had already passed on, but his brother was there, and they welcomed Oliver in. He reunited, and then he went to the office of the the child who was a baby or the man at the time, who was a baby on the plantation when he left, who is now the governor of Maryland. So he goes to his office and essentially says, I'd like for you to see what freedom has done for me. And he lays out his life. And the two of them embark on a 10-year exchange of letters And that's probably some of the most gripping evidence we have because the governor archived his letters at the University of Maryland. So I've got 10 years of letters from my great-great-grandfather to the governor of Maryland who was in the slaveholder's family, in in the home that he was a slave in. And at the very end, after they exchanged letters for 10 years, Um, The governor sends Oliver a letter and says, and we've got a copy of this one, it says, I guess I shall have to make a place for you, and you'll come down here, and you'll live out the rest of your days in your childhood home. And the response to that letter goes to the governor the next day, and it's from Oliver's wife. We've received your letter. Unfortunately, Oliver died. I got here. Mm-hmm. You never read it. It really you know, is like Stephanie, a movie.
1: For someone who just recently started research, you have done a very excellent job here. Um, Thank you. Tell, tell us a little bit more about the Colored Republicans of New York.
0: Well, the from what I understand from the little bit of research I've done, the um, of course, you know the color, the republican party at that time was the liberal party and the um free black community was very active in organizing politically at the time and so each state would have political groups formed for whatever and they would have conventions and these conventions would meet on some cycle, whether it's once a year, twice a year. And um, so the colored Republicans were active in various large cities in New York, Saratoga Springs being one of the most active cities at the time because of the, uh, the springs and the resort quality of the area. And I'm not sure what they did, you know, other than, get together and and probably decide on some very important things. um I haven't researched that enough to know how active they were, but in my research on Oliver, I just found a lot of newspaper articles about them and his work with them.
1: Mhm, well, Professor Stephanie, how could someone contact you if they wanted to um, have you come out for a speaking engagement?
0: uh I can be reached I can uh certainly provide my email address. Which is Stephanie. At Comcast. Dot net.
1: Okay, give us that one more time for some of the slow riders out there.
0: Absolutely, it's Stephanie, which is S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E. Dot Gilbert. G-I-L. E-E-R-T. At Comcast. Dot net.
1: In your research, did you learn of any other organizations such as the um, Colored Republicans of New York that Oliver was involved in?
0: Um, Political organizations, no. No, I did not learn of any others.
1: Any other type of organizations that were not political?
0: Well, of course, um, he was very involved musically, so... He was involved with the temperance movement, and he traveled with Thomas Deltney Is the name that he gives us, and apparently he was—he calls them the reformed drunkard, whatever that means. I guess he had been, you know, yeah,
1: uh, okay. drinking a
0: little bit too much, and then reformed himself. And mm-hmm. he was, I guess, a preacher, and had um, had a, had a uh, musical uh, group that traveled, including Oliver and a no- number of other notable musicians performing in halls, you know, through New England and Pennsylvania area.
1: And was it mostly gospel music or music of the day, popular music? It
0: was. It seems to be um, some, most of it was jubilee music. Jubilee, From what I understand and from what I've read, and then also some more popular music of the day. I've seen. I have a couple of the programs that I've been able to get a hold of, and have tried to find the songs. They're just, um, you know, some of it's more classical sounding. Uh, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen some unfortunate articles where it was Oliver's. Um, these articles were written recently by someone who was doing some research for the Thaddeus Stevens home, as a matter of fact, and they said that Oliver was a minstrel performer, which really wasn't the case. He was a a classical or jubilee um uh, performer and lecturer.
1: So I guess we can expect uh for you to produce a musical after all of this. Huh? I don't know about
0: that. I don't know <laughs> about that.
1: Were any members of I've your I've got a family... full time
0: job to keep up with. I'm sorry.
1: Were any of your family members unhappy about meeting uh, the slaveholders? How did they receive this information from your research?
0: Um, how did my family receive it? Yes. Well, um, I've got some. As with any family, I think you have some people who are very interested, and you know want to know all about it and want to keep up and participate. And then you have others that aren't so interested and think that the past is simply the past, and, you know, it's nice to know, but don't really need to sit around the table and talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I tend to just share information that becomes as it becomes available, but I have a cousin, an older cousin, who's, you know, in her 70s, who is my sidekick in this. And so she... Um, is always interested in going with me or learning or getting on the phone and sharing excitement about some new discovery. And so she went with me to Maryland to reunite with the slaveholders. And I, I think that was the right way to handle it, not to take too many people, because we were going into someone's home and there were two of them, so there were two of us.
1: Okay, great. Um that is Stevens' home. Have you been there? Is it still standing? Have you had any involvement yeah. with it?
0: Um, I have not had a lot of involvement with it. I um I went to it before I knew that Oliver's documentation was going to be used as the uh national the national park, uh, US National Park Service used Oliver's narrative and accepted his narrative as the source document to certify the house and office as Underground Railroad locations. And that was because, I believe, of, I believe, that was because of two things. Number one, they had already used his narrative to certify another Underground Railroad location. So they'd already done the work to validate the narrative and its accuracy and its validity. Because, honestly, when you read it, it sounds like, you know, you could question whether this is real because there are mm-hmm. a lot of famous names in there. But the work was done. I have no worries about anyone validating the document because he left breadcrumbs everywhere. Not even breadcrumbs. He left loaves of, of bread
1: everywhere. Wow. So there's
0: no problem yeah. validating it.
1: Yeah, you're so fortunate but, in that.
0: Yes. Secondarily, um, there had already been evidence that Thaddeus Stevens helped a band of fugitive slaves, and the description that was written, which I had no knowledge of, was exactly what Oliver wrote. Oliver was the slave or one of the slaves that was already had already been documented, and that document had been published. Um, After Oliver wrote his narrative So it's not that Oliver got his story From somebody else's story I didn't know that there was another Document out there or I think it's actually part of a book Um, But the book describes Oliver and his Band of fugitives Coming through town Singing And Oliver describes the same thing He was singing He even gives us he wrote the words to the song he was saying about, Master, don't follow me. I'm going to Canada where color people are free. So we were able to link this together that, in fact, these two documents are talking about the same people, and Thaddeus Stevens is the connector on that. Wow. So I think what that's effect, why why we were used.
1: What effect has this had on you personally? this research and all these relevations and whatnot? Oh,
0: my goodness. The effect on me is incredible because I was never a lover of history, um, but this has given me such a deeper understanding about slavery. And the connection to it, to me, I would say the most important thing is that slavery, honestly, To me, it feels like it was yesterday. And when you think of slavery, if you don't understand the context of it, you think it was so long ago, right? As a a teenager, as a young adult, you'll think, oh, my goodness, that was forever ago. Like, why are we still talking about that? You know, that was hundreds or thousands of years ago. Well, it wasn't. It was yesterday. Mm -hmm. You know, we still have the repercussions of slavery. It's easy to look at our society Today, especially in the African American population If you understand slavery And the impact of slavery on people Especially families Then you understand how we got to where we are today And then maybe if we understand that We can figure out how to fix it But you have to understand slavery When I read Oliver's narrative It's very clear that families were not connected he knew he had a family. He knew he had brothers, sisters, a mother, but if he never saw them, it was it was nothing.
1: Mm-hmm. He doesn't
0: write a lot about his mother. We don't know anything about his father. They were just constantly being ripped apart. So they didn't develop emotional attachments as easily as we might think, or those emotional attachments were broken on such a regular basis that, as a protection mechanism, they learn to disassociate easily. We often see that in today's society.
1: Oh, boy, impact. I was just thinking that. Just thinking so, that.
0: right, so you connect it back. Hey, exactly. we, we know exactly where that came from.
1: And he was constantly on the run. Right. All those we, years.
0: And he- African Americans were slaves, much longer than we've been free. Mm -hmm. So you can't expect to undo hundreds of years of slavery in 150, 160 years. It's not going to happen.
1: Stephanie, could you give our listeners some genealogy tips Uh, on how to research their family (laughs) ancestry?
0: I would say start, just start. Once you start, People are afraid to start because they, they say, I don't I don't know anything. I don't, there's nobody. Start with one little fact. Um, I don't want to be a commercial for Ancestry.com, but I have to say I use it, and I have huge success with it. So um, don't overrule that. And, and just start with talk to an older relative and get names and write down the names. Names, a location or a city, and an approximate date. Just start with one person, and you'll start to connect and connect and connect and find others. And when you get to slavery, don't give up. Never mm-hmm. give up. There's a there's a, a term in genealogy research called the brick wall, and every genealogist hits the brick wall. As a matter of you know, fact, right about Western, just for the brick wall. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Especially. Right about 1870. Especially.
0: But if you keep going, the Internet is a wonderful resource, and the great thing about the Internet is it's always being updated and added to, and historical documents are being added. So what's not there today might be there tomorrow. You just keep checking for the same information, and I found that to be the case.
1: Okay. Were you a gifted child in school?
0: Um, I, I was a gifted student, but not a good student.
1: Okay.
0: I... Didn't have to study a lot, so I didn't study a lot if that makes sense,
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I can tell um, our listeners should also be aware that they shouldn't overlook uh bibles, military records, funeral programs uh, yes. old n- historical newspapers um,
0: yeah, cemetery that. records go go to cemeteries and ask them to open a file and give you what they have. I was able to get um very detailed pages and pages of historic information for my relatives that were buried in the early 1800s from a cemetery here in Philadelphia. They had a folder full. So don't discount don't think that it's just going to be you no know, plot and location. They may have a lot of information that's been deposited over the years. Mm-hmm.
1: And might also find out who paid for those plots. In uh, yeah. my own research, i found that uh, the people buried there not ne- weren't necessarily the people that paid for it. And it gives Very you true. other kind of leads to look for.
0: That's right. You might get another name and address, and there you're off and running.
1: Is there anything else... Um, are there any books that you would recommend or historical sites uh, relative uh, to that
0: Well, certainly the National Park Service, the Network to Freedom for the Underground Railroad sites is a very nice resource. They have a website. I'm sorry I don't have the URL in front of me. I could get it to you. Uh, I would go there because if you're Going to be in any city or town, uh, even in your own town, just go on and I think you can plug in a zip code or plug in a city, and it will tell you what underground railroads exist and which ones are open to the public. And there are you know just tons of them. They continue to certify new sites um, quite frequently, you know, as much as they can validate them. So I would do that. Um, In terms of books. I recently read a very interesting book. I don't have it in this room with me, so I don't know the author, but it's called Joining Places, and it's about slave neighborhoods in the Old South, and it talks about the connection between, you know, when people think of slaves, they just think of slaves working on the plantation, and they don't realize that slaves were actually part of large communities. They went out to the neighborhood. They went to church. They often married slaves from other plantations, or they married free people from the community. So it's about the network and neighborhoods in slave towns and those relationships and how complex they were. So that's an interesting read.
1: Yeah, are you familiar with the uh, historical Black cemetery there in Philadelphia? I believe it's called Eden. E D E N. Oh yes, I've got
0: relatives there, lots of them. Yes.
1: How old is that cemetery?
0: Uh, I don't...
1: Approximately.
0: I don't, oh, I, I would say, well, at least, it was certainly before 1900, because I've got people that were buried there in 1901. Eight, I, I don't know, 1880-something? I'm not mm-hmm. sure. The 1800s. But the interesting thing about Eden is not just how old Eden is, but that Eden contains bodies of people who were buried in other cemeteries in Philadelphia in the city when cemeteries were urban and not suburban. So there used to be cemeteries at the churches in downtown Philadelphia, old town Philadelphia. And when Philadelphia and other cities went through the work to, um, you know, develop sewer systems and sanitary conditions, they dug up those cemeteries and moved the people out. And the black cemeteries in Philadelphia, those bodies were moved to Eden. So you've got people from, you know, 1600s are there. Now, of course, they're in mass graves at this point, but they've got locations. Um, Eden has sections named after the old cemeteries in Philadelphia, so you know who's there.
1: Stephanie, we want you to be sure to share uh, the following link with your family, friends, and fans. That's com backslash black history Um, we're also going to upload this interview to www.blackhistoryblog.com you have been an awesome awesome guest and we really appreciate your taking time to come in and educate our listeners in terms of your ancestor Mr. Oliver Cromwell very very fascinating some awesome research uh, thank do you. you have any thank you. W- Go ahead. I'm
0: uh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say thank you for having me. This is really the first time that I've had the opportunity to speak publicly oh. about Oliver, and and um, I just feel good about you know giving him the credit that he is due for everything that he did in his life
1: um, during gonna, the
0: time that he did it.
1: I think you're going to have to sharpen up your vocal cords because I'm sure people are going to be um, at your door wanting you to come and uh, speak to them. Um,
0: I hope so. I would be happy yeah. to. And, and, you know, parting words, I would just say, you yeah, know, everybody just, you know, start doing your family research because this just came from, honestly, a, a conversation around the dinner table from people who were not genealogists, were not historians, were not special in any way relative to this work and, things started to roll very quickly once we started to um, uncover things. So you never know who's in your family history. And it could be someone that did all the prep work for you.
1: Stephanie, you have become an expert.
0: Um, I I think I've got a long way to go, but I've got the rest of my life to do it. I keep telling people that my day job gets in the way. If I could just figure out how to get that out of the way, it'd be in good shape.
1: Yeah, Obama stole our uh, motto, Ordinary Folks Doing Extraordinary Things. And I yeah. think that describes uh, you exactly. And we're still waiting well, on you. that musical that you're going to uh, produce. Yeah,
0: based just on don't ask me to sing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> on the music that uh, your ancestor developed. Yeah. Well, thank you again. And uh, I wish you well, and hopefully uh, maybe we'll get together again and, and, and talk some more about um, Mr. Cromwell and his times. You I'd
0: love giddy. to, anytime.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: Okay, take care.
1: Okay, bye-bye.
0: Bye.
1: Well, folks, there you have Step into the world of power, loyalty.